Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast where we discuss market movements while at the same time quaffing a few beers. My name is Boaz Shoshan. I'm joined as ever by Sam Volkering. Sam, how are you getting on this week? Good, good. Uh, been, a, been a long week, been a good week. Um, yeah, beer o'clock. Let's, uh, let's dive in, drink some, drink some piss and talk some shit. <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. I'm starting off today with Underfall, which is a triple filtered lager from Butcombe Brewing Company. This is 4.1%. Indeed, Butcombe. Or Buck. I mean, if it's got an E on the end, is it Buckcomb or Buckcomb? I would have oh, said. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it's Buckcomb. Yeah, maybe it's no, Buckcomb. Buck oh, no. I think maybe it's Buckcomb. It's just all <laughs> yeah, like. Bro, it's, that's it's probably, probably neither of us are right. Yeah, Buckcomb. <laughs> All hail the harbour master, triple filtered, unpasteurized, and unchartered. Our clean, ultra crisp, triple filtered lager is an homage, an homage to Bristol's historic shipyard, made with pearl, saz, and target hops for subtly wow. hoppy notes. Its unique character has earned it its name. A triumph of Brunel, a tribute to Buckham. All oh, right, the all oh, right in Bristol. Right, right. <laughs> it all makes sense now. It all makes sense. Yeah, Brunel, Brunel and Bristol. I was like, wait, what was what was Eisenbard Kingdom Brunel doing with this brewery? But alas, it's a shipyard. Yeah. It would have been cool, cool if Brunel had a brewery, but you know, it is. People filtered too. That's ooh, mm. that's, that's a well filtered, well filtered beer. Yeah, yeah. It, it tastes pretty good. Gotta say. Gotta say. How about you? Yeah, so my first one is uh called Bigger Boat, uh, which is by Vocation Brewery. It's a four percent uh hazy pale. A trans-Pacific pale brewed with hops from New Zealand and West Coast US of A, uh, right. with waves of hoppy aroma, followed by a quenching bite of bitterness. This beer is worth getting your jaws around. Uh, yeah, the Vocation Brewery in Hebden Bridge, wherever that is. Wait, is that called Big Boat? Bigger Boat. Bigger Boat. Right, so we both have nautical-themed beers. And ironically, we were discussing we were discussing large boats before we actually came on air. So this is quite uh, quite prescient, really. It almost feels like it's a thread that we should continue. So for, I, I want to, I want to continue the discussion because I I we we were just talking before we started this podcast about boats and yachts. Um, and and uh, for for my background, I've you know always I grew up around speedboats and 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 powerboats, water skiing and wakeboarding and houseboats and things like that. So I've always I've always loved being on the water, out on you know the bay or on the ocean, on a on a boat or, or lakes and rivers and things like that. Um, and it's an itch I want to scratch at some point in life, maybe when the kids are a bit bigger, uh, is to get a boat, uh, preferably a bigger one, maybe a jet ski or something like that, um, <laughs> and and spend spend a lot of time on said boat. Um, but then we got we got chatting about people that live on boats because obviously in London you you find a lot of people on narrow boats and and living on, on, on boats that are moored up along the Thames because of the cost to live uh, in, in London. It's a cheap way of living in London, that's for sure. It is. It's a cheap way of living in London. And, and you know, I think I, I, I kind of like, it's a, it's a bit of the nomad, it's like the, like the upper class nomadic lifestyle, I guess, uh, living on a boat. But I think, you know, these alternative, alternative accommodation, alternative housing, I think that's something that, we will continue to see more and more and more and more and more of in, in countries like the UK, the US, even Australia, really. Um, 
because of the soaring values uh, uh, of property, which seem to be continuously driven uh, higher and higher and higher because of you know, a huge amount of lending that's available in the market, but also because um, property is just getting wild expensive. Like even in the UK, I mean, Australia, I just saw an article the other day, Australia's property prices are expected to surge another 20% and that the median price of a property in Melbourne is now around a million Australian dollars. I mean, that's fucking nuts. <laughs> so maybe I think, you know, buying an old boat, refurbing an old boat or living on a boat is not such a bad idea, really. Mm. Yeah, I definitely sympathize with that. You know, we had Akil Patel on this podcast back in season one, mm. uh, who has a very compelling idea on economic cycles and how they are exhibited through land prices. Now, land prices are the key input you need to be watching when it comes to pretty much investing in anything. Uh, and I remember one of the things Akil commented to me, you find all of this uh, all of this trend towards trying to make houses smaller and housing smaller, you know, the, all these shoebox, yeah. matchbox apartments that you find in, uh, in metro, you know, in the metropolis now, pretty much anywhere in the world, you'll find there are people yeah. living, uh, paying extortionate rent. Well, I mean, extortionate subjective, but uh, paying ridiculous rent relative to somewhere in the countryside. Uh, who are living in these tiny apartments. And I remember Akil saying, you know, all of these innovations there where they keep trying to make everything smaller and everything folds up and, you know, can be yeah, stashed yeah. to the side. And, you know, what is a coffee table can also be a table for four. And a bed. And, you know, <laughs> sofa bed, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, he was like, all this, I remember him saying, it wasn't using these words, but it was to the effect of like, this isn't going to save you, right? The, the prices are only going to increase. And all of these ideas are just going to get crushed because the like it's just going to become unaffordable. Yeah. There's not going to be anyone who's going to be able to bid that. It's just going to be uh, swallowed up by the very, very wealthy people. And I wonder about that when we're looking at these. Um, yeah, you know, if if Akil is right with his cycle uh, thesis, where we're at, we're still a few years off before this stops, right? Mm. So we're gonna this thing's uh, gonna get a lot more crazy before it starts winding backwards. I wonder uh, how we might see that when it comes to things like uh, canals and narrowboats, because ultimately, narrowboat prices, uh, they're nothing like property prices. You yeah, can yeah. buy a second-hand one right now pretty um, pretty affordably. I mean, you can you can get a, a de provided you're willing to do a bit of DIY, yeah. you, can, you can buy a decent uh, second-hand narrowboat for 20 grand, right? Yeah. The, pro the issue, the, the cost, which you want to, if you if you want to pay for narrowboat life, is going to be in if you want to buy a permanent mooring, mm. which of course is if in effect a tract of land which you which you can't actually permanently purchase if I'm correct, uh, you can yeah. only you can only lease it from the Canal River Trust for a certain period of time. Yeah. So the best way about it is if you if you actually buy a house that's by the canal, which will come with a permanent mooring, and those are definitely permanent. They're they're owned by by the household, um, but. You know, if you just keep moving every two weeks, uh, then you don't have to pay any rent. You don't have to pay any fees. Yeah. So you're living rent-free in London for 20 grand. Okay, sure, it's only a 35-foot narrowboat. But, you know... And I think, you it's, can... I think it's only like a few miles, too, that you actually have to move in order to... It's uh, not even uh, that. It's not even that. It's, yeah, right. it's provided the CRT officials don't think you're taking the piss. Yeah. <laughs> so provided you move far enough, then... Yeah. Uh, depending I mean, on how busy it is, yeah. 
yeah I, and, and like you say you know it depends if and and things like energy and stuff like that like i there's loads of canals near where i live i mean there's loads of canals all over the uk um so you you know you in, invariably see lots of um narrow boats coming through uh different places different periods of time and uh and more and more of them you see with solar panels on the roof you know oh, big time. yeah yeah and yeah, and, and little big, you know yeah. like I, I assume they're like um basically uh internet connection little satellite hub things as well oh so, yeah 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 like data yeah. you know data all those yeah. data sticks that you get i mean there yeah. are photos, photos love them um oh. I, I, like a relative of mine has a, a relative of mine and his wife have one uh, they've got solar panels all over the roof uh and they in fact they they get enough electricity that if they could like if they can find the right like grid bit then in theory they can sell the electricity back to the grid and things mm. um it is definitely doable but you know at the same time you know you're using a chemical toilet you gotta you gotta empty that out you gotta clean it out not ideal showering still you gotta you know you gotta pick up water like your you know your water itself unless you get get one of those very fancy rigs for uh, for uh, filtering canal water which is damn grim uh, you do need to you do need to fill it up yourself. Find one that they're very common on the canals, but uh, you know you do have to do it. It's a big chore, all that stuff. Um, but still, I mean, for what it is, it's uh, I think it, is, it sounds like a very very nice lifestyle to me. Um, and I can imagine a lot more people doing, it, especially when you got the working from home thing, right? Well, that's the um, thing, right? Is and so this is sort of where I was leading to, you know, down this sort of discussion is that while. I still believe that over the next few years, there will be somewhat of a return to the idea of, you know, centralized working in big, you know, buildings and things like that. I think it's reasonable to assume that it's never going to return to the way it completely was. Um, mainly for the fact that the shackles have been broken that a lot of corporations are like, okay, well, you don't, you don't actually have to be here all the time. Um, and so you can't kind of go back on that. You can't you can't say actually now you do have to be in here all the time if if it can be proven that you that you don't so it's one of those it's one of those gates that you walk through but it doesn't you know allow you back back through the other way and so the the all of a sudden there i mean for a long time you know there, there's been or there's always talk about you know big metropolises like like london and and you know, I don't know I, I talk about ones back home. It's, it's still not huge, but it's still talking about a city about four million people in Melbourne and things like that, where you end up with satellite cities on the fringes, you know, an hour or so outside of. I mean, that's basically why Milton Keynes, I think, exists was the idea of a satellite city on the edge. Um, I think those those areas are now going to become the you know basically deliver on the potential that they always were supposed to really have. And probably more of them pop up um, as as that requirement to be in a centralized place um, isn't isn't there anymore. And so that you will find that that we do that we, there's a shift in that that land values in those places that are still probably relatively more affordable are, are the ones that are worth looking at and picking up. I suppose if you're an investor at this point in time, but you know maybe 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 jump on a on a narrow boat and uh <laughs> or at least get one and, and rent it out to somebody that's uh, looking to to transition from from living somewhere to living on the water yeah i do wonder how narrow boating might change in say the next 20 years because when you when you see the way they are today uh the traditional 
narrowboat design and the engines that are used. I mean, they're still they're still using red diesel, mm. uh, though now these days it's like you can only fill your tank with a third with red diesel because most of these narrowboats use the same fuel tank. So you're only ma meant to use red diesel now for the uh, for you know the you know like the uh, the ancillary duties of of you know the engine rather than for actually driving it around so it's like yeah. you know, a third of it can be red diesel um but like when it comes to refueling and things i mean the, the 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 kits people are using to refuel them you know the barges that you get to for refueling refueling your narrowboat it's like uh, you've gone back in time well it's I mean, interesting you, there's 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 a lot of development uh, at the moment around um uh, electrification of marine engines yeah, there is, there is, and the Dutch are really big on this for mm. their canals. Yeah, uh, don't see that much. So, don't see that so much over here. And I wonder whether or not it will it will really pick up outside of metropolises again. Because if you if you're you know in if you're in boat country, so you're way out of uh, London, you know, you're much much more in the north, uh, and you're on the canals, uh, you know, heading heading way up to the border. Then there's lots of you know beautiful open stretches where you know where's the charging point gonna be, uh, where like whereas before with a uh, well, the fuel barges they can move around you can't mm. move the the charging facilities around so I, I wonder whether or not how how much that will be picked up and how much it will be picked up because the government does something to penalise diesel boaters. Yeah. I, I see that probably more as the is the end result is that you find that the if the government's going to crack down on things like diesel cars, uh, they're probably going to do the same then towards diesel engines across marine vehicles as well. Yeah, uh, pleasure and, boaters. Yeah, and probably they probably then provide incentives or there'll be somebody that will say, oh, you know, if we're going to like the some of the charging bigger charging infrastructure providers go, well, if we can, you know, put a charger at a at a cost of coffee, then we can put one at a you know, at a village pub, uh, in you know, <laughs> in the middle of in the middle of the country somewhere, without probably too much fuss or without having to you know go through too much infrastructure um, re realignment. So I think you'll probably get to the point where it's like you know you roll into a little village that's by a canal and there's a charging point down by the dock, which is near near the the pub that it's <laughs> probably linked to as well. Yeah. Um, and and the you know like you say the, the thing about these engines. That, that they are developing is that they tend to be, um, and, and, and this is sort of with all electric engines, they tend to have an absolute bundle load of torque, um, which is what you would need for something like what you a, want. A, a narrow boat. Um, but they don't, they don't actually require huge amounts of power. Um, it, it's more about that initial torque rather than power with something like that. Well, a again, it's, it's, that, it's that battery duration. So it's not the issue yeah. with the motor. So it's always yeah. the duration true. true um it's that what it draws draws from the battery but if you've also then got you know an array of solar panels along the top of your uh, of your narrow boat um you're probably getting extended range too so i don't know it's interesting that i kind of like the, the a lot of people sort of talk when we talk about evs and, and electrification and stuff they sort of think about cars maybe sort of start to think about trucks people very rarely think about planes and marine vessels um, but it's certainly an area where there's a lot of companies doing a lot of stuff um, around the engines, around the batteries. Um, I think that's one to watch for the for the next few years as well, because I think that's where there'll be probably bigger shifts and jumps um, than probably the actual automotive industry. I wonder. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. 
I saw recently, uh, I think it was just over the past week, the RAF, uh, I think it was an RAF press release talking about how they were looking at making making things more sustainable, which is not really <laughs> what you want to see from a military force. That's not really what you would hope, the, hope they would be doing. But bombing runs in the Middle East, uh, stopping doing that would be more sustainable, you'd think. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe maybe it's the other way around, where it's like, maybe if we bomb oil fields in the Middle East, then the world becomes more sustainable or something. I, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, basically, basically you're talking about now we're starting to talk about dr sw uh, swarm drone attacks on um, major oil installations. Yeah, but they're powered using Tesla batteries or something. So it's all it's very green. Greta. It's like when Tony Stark gets blown up by his own missile in Iron Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jericho, if I if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, I, I was I saw that. And it's very disheartening to see militaries being. Uh, being concerned with such things, but um, did I see uh, that the US have just upped their military budget as well just recently, or was that uh, maybe there's been a proposal? I've not seen a, uh, but I could, I could be. I've not been paying huge amount of attention to the news over the past week. I did also see that China's been doing uh, further um, beach landing um, simulations and 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 practice um, in preparation for their invasion of Taiwan. Hmm. Yo, so, oh, well, this ties in quite well with our previous conversation. So maybe the ideal life, Sam, is if we're trying to check out from society here, maybe the ideal life is not to buy a boat, but actually is to have, to build some islands, uh, maybe not in the South China Sea, but using the Chinese technology they de they've deployed there to a more peaceful part of the ocean. Uh, the problem is, that I understand, with these islands that they've, uh, they've made in, in the SES, so they've just been dredging up sand and just piling it up. Apparently, it needs to be like constantly replenished after a while because the the, the ocean will return that sand to the yeah. sea floor. You know, so the, the, it's like a sandcastle, and the the waves are coming in really, really slowly, and you need to just keep building it and building it. But maybe, I mean, where where do you think? Uh, maybe French Polynesia, maybe maybe somewhere we could build a nice little island there. Well, um, there's probably there's probably still plenty of islands that are available just to to have I, I, a mate a mate of mine in Australia. We regularly uh, email each other um, islands for sale, um, just like these tiny little islands that you can pick up for like a couple of hundred grand, um, and and it's kind of our it's kind of our off grid escape plan. And um, I think mate, he, don't put this on air. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say which islands. But I believe there were some towards uh, um, towards Ireland, actually, funnily enough. Um, but I know it's like there was, yeah. I, <laughs> I think I think you can still buy islands, um, which yeah. might which might sound quite elitist. But some of them, you know, there's there's no there's no um, you know there's no running water on there. There's no electricity or anything like that. It's kind of real proper off off grid living, but uh, it requires boat access, um, nonetheless. Yeah. So. Now, I remember it would be a bit of a, a zombie apocalypse protection, you'd think. I remember there was somebody who listed a house that had its own island. It was off the uh, off the island of Harris, so uh, uh, one of the Scottish Isles. Uh, and there's this tiny, you know, tiny little island off the end of it, uh, completely surrounded by water. And there's just a house in the middle there. It's got it. It had its own uh, had its own infinity pool. Uh, uh, you know, very large living room, very nice indeed. But it is off Harris and so very exposed. You're gonna you're gonna be hearing the wind an awful lot over there. But you know they're selling it for three hundred grand, which uh, 
which when you think about it, that's, that's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> that's you know, really you, good. You need a boat and everything. <laughs> the semi-delinked uh, of this place. Exactly, exactly. And so it got enough coverage that Daily Mail did a, did a piece on it. Ah, oh, so it uh, went for like a million then. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened to it in the end. But I remember just looking at that and being like, damn, mm. I, you know, I could, I'd probably be all right over there. Well, but, so on, on this topic of, of things, and not necessarily islands, but um, I, we, we, I knew some people and know some people back in Australia that um, they, they bought an old warship. I believe it was an, it was an old New Zealand uh, Navy, the Navy. Uh, ship. And they refurbed it into a into a yacht. It was like one of the, it was like a, a the New Zealand Navy patrol boat, and refurbed it into a proper luxury yacht. Um, That's pretty cool. Which is which is actually pretty cool because that you know the vessel itself you could take that through some pretty serious seas, um, big time anywhere you wanted really around the world, and 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 you'd you'd, you'd get there. Um, and then to have it sort of refurbed. I mean, if you had the skills and you, you, you know, to basically, if you're, if you're a builder, you could, you could do it. Cause as I say, the, the vessel itself, as long as the engines are, you know, a-okay, then um, yeah, it's just, it's just another shell that you could make into a livable place and, and a warship as well. I mean, that's just not, there's something in that too. I, I would have thought. <laughs> mm, yeah. I mean, do you know what, do you know how it, how it all turned out? Cause I understand the upkeep on old vessels is quite, is quite steep. Yeah. So the, I think they had a bit of a mare with the um, engines and the rewiring of the electricity. Um, and it did cost a bit of a bit of a pretty penny to, I think, get it to a point where it was livable. Um, but it was, it was, it was pretty it's pretty nice and it's it was cheaper to refurb to buy and refurb than to buy sort yeah. of an equivalent size yeah. um modern boat um but you're right the upkeep on anything like that anything of, of serious size i think roughly um the, the sort of rule of thumb is 10 percent of the purchase price is basically your ongoing annual cost yeah <laughs> which 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 probably then doesn't necessarily lend itself to the, to the boat life but yeah, maybe yeah. that's not necessarily narrow boating i would i would have thought either hmm yeah i wonder i wonder i think uh i remember hearing a while back about there was a the, some venture capital group had an idea for they were going to get these really 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 old cruise liners you know titanic oh, yeah. era and yeah. they were just going to refurb them and turn them into new ones and then the marketing you know the advertising was going to be you know you can you can be in one of these boats because they were beautiful festivals right they're what if they turned one of those into like an apartment building and parked it in you know see a similar kind that's a similar idea like why can't we take these beautiful old things and make make something yeah. new out of them and uh, anyway the entire scheme collapsed because it was just <laughs> extraordinarily expensive to refab these things in any way that was livable and that, and that was that it's been, it'd be like it'd be like that movie. I think is is it called the the Tower or whatever, where there's basically all the the or, or like a Snowpiercer, where all the you know the the lower class are down one end and like up the up the top, whereas is the first class passengers, and then they end up just all going to war on the ship. I tried I tried to watch that series, the Netflix version of it. I, I, I haven't seen the movie. I tried to movie's watch the Netflix better. version. Better. Right. I was I just wanted to see Sean Bean in this damn series. <laughs> And yeah. I was like, see, episode four, and I've see, still not seen the bastard yet. And I, I, I just, I just gave up after that. Um, but yeah, it, it's. A, I imagine it would be something similar with the different different floors. There've been a few. In fact, there've been plenty of movies where they've tried to make class this physical thing. 
Yeah. And so there was that movie with um what is the name of that chap? Wasn't it? it well, Tom the one Hiddleston. I was thinking about was Tom Hiddleston, the one. Yeah, yeah. whereas the, the physical yeah, story. The tower. tower they got you got Snowpiercer. Uh, and then there's the other one where they, yeah, there was the other one, which is a foreign movie. It's a Spanish movie. Oh, there's also on Netflix, uh, which is just where it's all about the people on a tower and all all the food is on a plate. At uh, the top it's a the prison. Plate. It's a prison. Yes. Yeah, I think that it's like called platform. I think platform. Yeah, yeah. It's all very. It's all the same idea. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's all it's it all comes it's all it's all a take on on class and class warfare and things. But like it's that. like it, it's like they're just trying to they're taking this their ideology and just trying to just force the world to look the way that they think the world looks like, which I think is very, yeah, which, which it's, it's like trying to, it's trying to force the world to conform to your ideology. So it's like, I think the world does look like this without the world actually looking like it, but you know, they managed to get a, an awful lot of views. So there must be a market for it. I would have thought so. I still keep thinking about the idea. It's like, you know, there's that hotel down by um, the London XL that's just a big yacht that's moored permanently by the XL. And it's a hotel and you can stay on it. Um, I keep coming back to the idea idea of a a cruise ship uh, turned into apartment buildings that's just permanently moored somewhere. Oh, why not? um, In a big port. I mean, I'd love to to see it, but yeah, maybe... (laughs) yeah you run out of land you know if you're going to build a, a shoddy apartment building in the in the middle of a city um you know why would why wouldn't you do it to a boat instead It'd probably end up being cheaper probably better i mean we've got hms belfast permanently moored on the south bank of the thames it's not going anywhere it's just a museum plenty of space on one of those babies i, I mean, wonder what i wonder what the upkeep is on that to keep it afloat and you know i doubt it's free making- or- it's not going to be making its earning its keep that thing. I doubt. Nope. No. So why not? Why not? Yeah. But as a, a warship, maybe it's so well built, so well built that uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna fall to pieces. In which case, the rent from the apartments will just be all upside. Exactly. Happy day. Yeah, the exactly. mod. The mod is finally earning some decent dollar. <laughs> Speaking of which, tomorrow is Black Tot Day. I hope yourself, Sam, and everybody who is uh, listening to this podcast will be having a dram of rum to celebrate or indeed to rue Black Tot Day. All right, you're going to um, have to explain this to me because I've got no fucking idea what you're talking about. Oh, my God. <laughs> Typical Australian. Oh, mate. So once upon a time in the Royal Navy, right, everyone used to drink rum. But it got so out of hand that the Royal Navy decided we are going to regulate rum rations. So right. there will be a daily ration of rum, which sounds will like today's spent. government. Yeah, effectively. But in that back then, they actually had a reason for it because there was just so much drunken disorderliness amongst <laughs> amongst the ranks in the Royal Navy. So this is 1700s, 1740. You've got uh, uh, Admiral Grogram. Well, he's at, well, that's not his name. Don't, do not tell me his name was Admiral Grogram. No, no, no. His name was Admiral Vernon. Sorry, I misspoke ah. there. But he used to wear, <laughs> used to a, wear a Grogram cloak, which is where the name Grog actually comes from because, ah. uh, because he's the guy who instituted the rum ration. Anyway, so this guy, uh, Admiral Vernon, uh, at, in, you know, funnily enough, coincidence here, uh george washington was born in mount vernon 
Mount Vernon was actually named after Admiral Vernon, who is the same guy here. Anyway. Hello. But, 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 just but a reminder that America is just a colony. Exactly. Just a, just your, your daily reminder before Black Tot Day that America is still Britain's, Britain's, uh, Britain's uh, offshoot. But anyway, Black Tot Day is when in 1970, after 230 years of sailors getting their daily dram of rum, their daily rum ration, uh, which they'd had, you know, every day, and anyone, if you didn't want it, you didn't have to have it. But this was a daily ration you get between 11 in the morning and noon. On Black Tot Day, 1970, they decided to discontinue it. And this was, that is tomorrow, 31st, 31st of July. And they stopped yeah. it. Very, very sad day. Uh, and it really does, uh, it was a symbol of the decline of Britain abroad. The New Zealanders, you know, the Kiwis, uh, everyone else. So the, the Kiwis managed to keep going with it until 1990. Oh, wow. Um, Nothing went wrong for them. Kind really? Of, to 1990? Kind of, Everyone 1990. got a, a daily a daily amount of rum. Yeah. How and nothing went that? wrong. Nothing That's went crazy. wrong. So really, we should still, we should bring back the tot. Because the tot bring was back the tot. built uh, the British Empire. I can see that as a Twitter trending hashtag. Bring back the, bring bring back back the, tot. the tot. We should bring back the tot. So tomorrow, everybody, if you're listening okay. to this, I certainly will. Yeah. You should all have a nice dram of rum. And uh, you know, and celebrate the tot because the I'm tot really that. did, you know, it defeated uh, it. Uh, well, it defeated Napoleon. I mean, it was uh, one of our the the fuel of of Britain for so long, and no more, no is more. Is it um, is it any kind of rum? Can it be white rum, spiced rum, dark rum? Does it does it matter? You go for the dark rum, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the original Royal Navy rum was uh, normally from either uh, British Guyana or Barbados, less so from Jamaica. Um, you can, funnily enough, actually buy some of the rum that the Royal Navy had, you know, after they banned the tots because they had nothing to do with it. You know, just no. fill up warehouses. So you can buy it. Uh, there is a brand that was created called Black Tot. And they did one called Final Consignment, I believe. And it <laughs> costs, uh, so you can actually buy from that original brew wow. of rum and it, i think it's 725 pound a bottle uh, that you can you can pick it up for if you are interested in some very old rum uh that was the the, the people just for did. the historic value alone that's that's that sounds enticing but considering that this is what the royal navy were just giving to everybody uh yeah yeah it's, it's like an antique it's not it's, it's, it wouldn't be something you'd, you'd buy for the wonderful taste of it or anything like that but considering how old it is maybe Probably maybe it's funny because i was i was having a conversation so i uh when i was it maybe last week i just popped down to the me local um uh, majestic wines to get some wines funnily enough um but also a couple of beers and that and uh, i noticed they had um because they obviously sell all kinds of alcohol they also had quite a, a display of gins uh on uh, on show so i think one was like a strawberry gin one was like a tropical fruit gin it was all it was it was all fancy and i was saying to the uh to the wine guy there um i i was a little sad to see so much more gin on display because i'd 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 hoped and kind of thought that it was perhaps the the gin i wouldn't call it a fad but the the rise and and boom of gin over the last couple of years I, i'd have thought that had petered out and that perhaps this summer was going to see the resurgence of rums 
one uh, can hope one can only hope than, than gin but uh, apparently it appears not and he was saying no it, it seems like everyone's back on the gin bandwagon this summer because the array of uh, of quality rums that uh, that are out there and available uh, is phenomenal really it's, it's a very underutilized um uh alcohol and uh you know it's one of those things like you see you know because there was obviously so was it was it george clooney with his um wine company that he sold for like a billion dollars or something and um the rocks got like a tequila brand which is you know some obscene value i saw lebron james and a bunch of other lebron james had brought a bottle of tequila to one of the nba finals games uh, and was literally sitting courtside with a bottle of tequila between his legs that it was uh, one of the companies he'd invested in. I think Ryan Reynolds has got his own gin company, Aviation Gin. It seems like celebrity uh, purchases and, and, and ownership of, of alcohol companies is rife. And there's a lot of, there's a bit of a boom in these markets, uh, the alcohol market again, for all this. But I don't see anyone doing it with rum. Um, and I'm, I'm like, what, 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 they're missing a trick here because it's the underutilized, underappreciated alcohol, I think. Yeah, I, I guess that's what Conor McGregor's doing with his uh, proper 12 Irish whiskey thing. Yeah, there you go. Another okay. one, I, Conor McGregor with his, yeah. Yeah, well, where's the person doing the, is there, are there any athletes doing Scottish whiskey? Uh, well, like real whiskey, what would it be? Um, um, oh, so, so uh, I think it was it. I think it might have been Lee Westwood has just done a partnership with one of the big whiskey companies. Lee, so for anyone that's not a fan of golf, uh, Lee Westwood's one of um, England's well, most well-known and, and successful golfers. Uh, and he hasn't won a major, but that aside, uh, quite a big name in golf. And he's just, I just saw he just done a partnership with one of the, one, he doesn't own it, but it's like a limited edition run of, of whiskeys. Um, that's one I can think of. Hmm. It I seems to be what... all the rage. Like even I, I bought a couple of um, bottles of wine from St. Hugo's Wines in Australia. Very well-known, very good wine brand. And, and I, bought two, I bought two bottles because they'd done a partnership for a limited run release of wine with Daniel Ricciardo, the Formula One driver. So I, I was like, I'm going to buy one to drink one and one to keep one. It kind of seems like the out, like, in these celebrity endorsements of uh of different alcohols and stuff i even saw at the at the asda the other day that kylie minogue's got her own sauvignon blanc range <laughs> out there at the moment it's like all the rage in the alcohol market is uh, celebrity partnerships and endorsements or owned brands and things like that damn i mean like alcohol i mean i guess it's just a reflection of just how much alcohol consumption has increased maybe during yeah. i mean it's it's interesting because like yeah, it's it's weird. It's 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 like because it ne I never it never really used to be a thing. I don't think. No, not to the degree that it is. Though I do wonder whether or not social media has just increased celebrity, um, the ability for celebrities to tie themselves to brands because they can just post about it on Instagram way easier than going out in an ad. So mm. where I wonder whether or not that our our uh, you know our awareness of certain brands is just because we're more we're aware of celebrities. And then we are aware of, oh, and the celebrity is saying that they're part of this brand rather than having to wait to see a magazine ad or waiting to have to see a, a, you know, a video ad, whether or not it's just because, oh, well, you know, a celebrity can just have this on their Instagram or on their Twitter or whatever, mm. and you'll just see it way quicker. So you'll be able to recognize the brand with the individual 
way faster. I wonder if, if that's what's going on instead. But I would be way more on the side that where actually alcohol is booming because if you're if you're not working a job that requires manual labor, so you're just staying inside all day, um, or even if you're working a job working manual labor, like just uh, lockdown conditions where there's you can't do that much or you can do much less than you could just drives you to uh to, to hit a bottle i mean i know i know that, speaking from experience here uh, <laughs> i mean i know that's what i've been doing so uh I would yeah, I was, i'm curious as to what impact i haven't i haven't really sort of looked at it in, with a huge amount of, i mean i've over the last sort of 18 months i've been pretty focused on i mean i've been looking at and quite interested with the hospitality sector particularly pubs uh, and pub stocks, but I, I've never, I haven't really looked uh, with a great amount of um, detail at the actual alcohol companies themselves. Um, I wonder how they've actually gone. I reckon they've. I, that, I reckon um, they've done all Dia, right. Diageo. Diageo. Over the last year, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, they've gone okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, think I think they've done all right yeah uh, i mean like uh, what's that at, one remy remy um R- remy martin is uh, that's um uh louis vuitton hennessy moe moe hennessy yeah all right yeah yeah they've 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 like so um diageo or diageo or diageo diageo um, yeah all-time highs at the moment yeah nice uh you know last year alone from like uh you know 130 to almost 200 dollars a share in the new york stock exchange that's pretty good for a 115 billion dollar alcohol company not bad not bad yeah whiskey i wonder if i wonder if the sector is going to continue to boom um or whether perhaps it's starting to look a bit peaky yeah whether or not out, come yeah. out of lockdown conditions yeah, all these celebrities endorsing it. Maybe that's the top signal. Eh? That's you what know. I mean, right? Is that you get a feeling when like you know, we just reeled off a you know a dozen names uh, that are all involved in the alcohol market, and I wonder while that might be a sign that the market has been booming, is this now sort of the top uh, mm. of it, of it all? Um, one of yeah, further further to that, uh, one of the big well, one of the weird stats you find is the. The millennial popularity for being teetotal, not boozing. Yeah, uh, and you know, the more years that pass, I mean, the more the more important this becomes for the economy in general, because you know, more boomers are dying, and more millennials who are now becoming more and more significant within the economy are earning wages and not spending them on booze. I wonder whether or not, I wonder when we're going to start seeing that, or whether or not millennials will just change their tune. Um, yeah I, I i'm kind of stumped on it i do feel like i you know if we do get some sort of 1920s redux uh then obviously you know but it's time to party so boozing's gonna have a great time but at the same time uh i think yeah I, I can you can you imagine a world where everyone there's a really big trend to not not drink yeah, I, I can. It's hard for me to imagine because we I'm from the, the generation that there's nothing but absolute raging pissheads. Um, but well, I can see that because like, it's, the, the, it's the rise of um, uh, uh, Beyond Meat and shit like that, right? Um, I don't. Yeah, but I, I don't think those those the the rise of those companies 
was ref was re was reflective in reality. I think it was just a narrative that was really popular because people who are vegan like to talk about it. <laughs> it's it's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. But Listen, you know I'm, what? I'm, I'll, I'll I'll get back to you in sixteen years when I see how much <laughs> um, piss my boys consume as they um, you know get get older uh, and get to that age where they're trying to you know sneak a cheeky six pack from the off license and come home ragingly pissed from a party yeah siphoning uh, siphoning the uh, the vodka and replacing it with water yeah 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 exactly and if they so if they're not doing that then um the the alcohol industry is fucked episode seven thousand we shall <laughs> we shall return to this topic booze booms and buy and 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 buy what's a non-alcoholic drink that starts with a b Bro, uh, booze, booms, and root beer. Booze, booms, and root beer. BBRB. Um, so the, yeah, BYOB, it's BBRB. Booze, booms, and Bundaberg ginger beer. Sam, how would you review your first beer? Bigger boat. Uh, it was good. It was, um, it, it had the bitterness that they, they claimed that it had. So I like it when they, um, they deliver on what they, they say. Um, yeah, look, I uh, I quite liked it. It was, it was a bit, bit forgettable, to be honest. It was it was nice and easy to drink, but um, yeah, uh, I'd give it an A plus. A plus, all right. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Uh, Buckham or Buckham Underfall Triple Figure Filtered Lager. Hmm. Uh, it was actually as a lager goes, it was very nice. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of lager in general, um, but this was this was a good one. I think I'll give it a B minus, as uh, it did. Yeah, and it has a great label as well. Uh, tasted good, nice label, very refreshing. Uh, what are you, yeah? What's your second beer, Sam? Right. So second one is a uh, collab. Uh, it's called New Pals, and it's a collab between Gypsy Hill and the Moondog Craft Brewery. Uh, session IPA, 4%. And um, so Moondog, for those that aren't aware, is based out in Australia. Uh, and Gypsy Hill is... Um, where's Gypsy Hill? I, I can't remember. It's, is, I think it's here somewhere, isn't it? Isn't it London, I think? Yeah. Yeah, London. Gypsy Hill Bruco in London. So it's a um, it's a Northern and Southern Hemisphere collab. Um and uh yeah it's 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 quite uh, it's got a little bit of fruity fruitiness to it um i'm just trying to it's got it's got some uh it's got some text and it says brewed with southern hemisphere favorites galaxy and enigma for easy drinking vibrant flavors uh fermented on vermont backing up the hop profiles with stone fruit esters so yeah i'm getting that's definitely getting that stone fruit fruitiness about it uh, goes well with big splashes and man-made lagoons Wow, we're back on the water. It's, it's a very nautical, water-based uh, uh, theme today. Yeah. Uh, second one I've got here, not so nautical, nautically themed. Ah, there we go. That's yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> got to kill the streak. This is Dorothy Goodbody's mm. Glorious IPA, uh, which has a very nice label indeed, with a, uh, a very a very uh, attractive blonde lady, kind of looking like Marilyn Monroe, uh, surrounded by, one. I believe this is the Herefordshire oh, uh, Dales and a load of hop symbols. 
And this is a 6% IPA, uh, glorious India Pale Ale, to brew a beer as stunning as Dorothy's Herefordshire surroundings. Oh, wow. We selected a blend of malts for a well-balanced biscuit and caramel base and used five hop varieties. The result is a golden IPA bursting with zesty citrus and tropical flute flavors. Yeah, very nice indeed. Uh, just for the, I think the fact that they've managed to get away with having a, um, a, a label which has a chick uh, dressed like Marilyn Monroe, kind of provocatively, I think I think this already raises it in in my books. I, I, Sam, were you, were you familiar with the, with the top totty stat scandal? Do you, do you remember this? Not not too long ago. Nah, you, you, it's not. Nah, it was a pub home. near uh, near the Houses of Parliament that was serving a beer on tap called Top Totty, which right. had a chick uh, dressed. I think it was it was only it wasn't like a Hooters outfit or something. It was just uh, it had a had you know a very attractive lady on the label uh, with bunny ears, right. and it was called Top Totty. <laughs> And uh, the brewery were, uh, you know, there was just some hit piece in some tabloid or whatever. And the brewery were hit with all this scandal about how, and, and of course, all the MPs who fre frequented the, this pub because this is so terrible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I wasn't actually familiar with it. My, it was my girlfriend who told me about it. And uh, Top Totty, since then, you know, the beer still exists, but not the label. You know, they, they, oh, wow. they struck... The, the nice lady from the label, and it did seem like a grand shame. I, I do kind of, it would be interesting if somebody, you know, managed to take the same label and then just call it something else and see if you could get some sales from controversy, because I would imagine the amount of publicity you would get if you did do that would be enough to get some sales. But uh, Dorothy Goodbody's Glorious IPA is indeed very nice uh, from Y Valley Brewing. Uh, this is, is quite nice. Have you spent much time in Herefordshire before, Sam? Uh, I can't say I have. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm astonished but not surprised that, that the Top Totty attracted such um, uh, conjecture about it. But it's, it, it's, it, it's, I find it uh, obscenely strange that that, that that could and would offend people. The, the, the name and a label of a beer um i mean seriously like it's pretty obvious who the goddamn demographic is that they're aiming to sell it to um yeah so i just some of some of the I, I i i get i get their issues with uh you know objectification of, of women and, and the way that women are treated in corporate the corporate world um but also sometimes in advertising it's like you know you're selling to you know, I'm not going to try and sell, um, uh, you know, Zimmer frames to 15 year old kids. Um, so <laughs> I think people that get worked up about stuff like that need to get a life. I, uh, I agree hundred percent, Sam. It is. Uh, <laughs> so unlike yourself, I can believe how it happens. Uh, sadly, I, uh, very jaded as I am, I, uh, I can easily see why somebody would decide that, uh, to get, to make their life more interesting, they would, they would adopt the guise of a moral crusader who is, uh, you know, has been destined to rid society of images and icons which would defile uh, Lord knows what. But, you know. It's it like I, I heard my, my wife was telling me that apparently um, Pepe Le Pew has been cancelled. Who's that? The, the Warner Brothers um, skunk, the French skunk oh, cartoon really? character. Oh, why? What, what's he done now? Because he he he's a bit rapey. Really? <laughs> Pretty much. Because like when you go through all the Pepe Le Pew cartoons, all he's trying to do is like 
force himself onto the um the cat the lady cat that he's trying to or the lady skunk or whatever it is that he's trying to 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 basically get it get a piece of action with uh and apparently apparently it's it's a bit much these days so peppily i think I, I i heard i don't know if it's true uh that apparently Pepe Le Pew is not in the new space jam movie um due to his rapiness <laughs> damn so yeah is that is that why michael jordan wasn't in it either <laughs> yeah you know well, in those cartoons i uh, know i know who you mean that that skunk i thought it was yeah. always just trying to seduce uh, I, I didn't uh, see wow. it as a as a as a rape I didn't think I'd see it as sexual assault, but then, you know, here I am. I, I'm a straight white male, so obviously, you know, I can't. I could never. Not to add the word privileged in there, but yeah, oh yeah, of course, a very, uh, a very privileged straight white, straight white man. Yeah, I mean, this, uh, this is this is this is the world. I suppose that that we are in is is that everybody uh, has a, a platform to to have a voice, and enough people share said voice they can uh, they can make stuff happen or if enough bots have the same voice then then i guess things start to trigger the right algorithms that can eventually make things happen <laughs> so you know i must i must say some i am <laughs> you know i'm i'm actually impressed i'm actually impressed it has taken us 50 episodes before <laughs> we can before we do an episode where we don't discuss markets at all <laughs> We talked about alcohol stocks. What are you talking about? And property markets. Not really, no. Come on. No, really. I mean... Uh, like to, to be fair, though, to be truly reflective of, of how we would would be sat in a pub discussing things, there will be times when, the, you know, it's not always a deep market discussion, but things, you know, the way in which society operates is a very important point to reflect on when looking at how the markets behave. Oh, I, I think so. I think so. I've thoroughly enjoyed our, our discussion. I think this is... Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of a discussion that one one would have at a pub, right? I mean, this is the, uh, you know, once you've had a few beers and you've decided that you are you're going to uh, try and uh, flesh out some some things that you've been thinking of over the past week, I think this is uh, this is a, this is a pub discussion. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's it's. I so I was reading a um, I was reading a company quarterly update was a quarterly update i think it was yeah quarterly update or half yearly update this week and um they were going through the performance of the company i won't name the company but i was going through the performance of the company and um they had good results good figures they'd appointed a few people to the board and things like that but they made a specific point of referencing the percentage of women on their board and i just found it they're all mate as a percentage the as board, a percentage as the a percentage board, of the board. Yeah. The board, how many people are on the board? Uh, I don't know, but the, the percentage of them were women. And I was like, I I am all about, I have, I have nothing but, I'm all about the right people for the right job. I don't care whether you're a, a Marvin the Martian or Pepe Le Pew, it doesn't matter. You, you need to have the appropriate people for the right positions, regardless of anything else. That's a quality. Um, but I just find it interesting that companies need to make a point about it. It was like when Ben and Jerry said that they were going to stop selling ice cream into was it, in Israel. Oh, Israel. Yeah, you know, occupied Palestine, right? Well, yeah. yeah, occupied Palestine. Uh, and it's like, well, that's fine. 
but why do you have to go and tell everyone about it? Just do it, right? If that's your belief, if, that, if that's your stance, if that's your position, just do it. And I, I just find it weird that companies need it or find a reason to need to have to tell the world about things that they should really be doing anyway. Um, as though it's like, look at us, look at us, we're good people. And all that sort of tends to do is reinforce the point that, well, actually, probably you weren't to start with and probably still aren't. Well, um, it generally reveals a, an ulterior motive to the, to the announcement. Yeah, I, I, was, and I feel I like it's become, I feel like in, in, particularly in the corporate world and particularly with public companies, it's become a situation where if they're not telling the world about these things that they are in, in, inherently forcing themselves to do, uh, which they really should have been doing anyway and should do anyway. They shouldn't have to preach about it. I almost find that as a, as a, as a, as a, as a signal to, to, to say, well, actually, maybe this company isn't, isn't really actually operating in the way that they should, even though they're saying that they are or they're moving in the right direction, is that they've come from a base where the culture and the actual company itself is probably questionable uh, to begin with. So I don't know. It's, it's just an interesting it's an interesting period of time. I've, I, I've, I've heard and spoke with people where I know that um, people that, that haven't been fit for a position, well, not that they haven't been fit for a position, but in terms of the applicants for said position, um, you know, where the, the person that got the job was fourth or fifth ranked in terms of uh, quality of person required for the job that would perform the job that ended up getting the job because of certain, um, certain factors their gender or, or race or whatever it might be um and and i find that that that's still discriminatory towards i mean that's still it's still discriminatory right if the wrong it is, the wrong is. person's being put in the job again regardless of age race gender or whatever that there's an issue with that that the wrong people are being put in positions that they shouldn't be in and so it's this weird kind of it's almost like a, um, it's, it's, uh, there's this push towards diversity and inclusion and all of that, which should be naturally part of any hiring policy anyway. Uh, but yeah, it, it's almost like it's, it's the same thing, but now just on the complete other end of the spectrum. And I just find it a really weird situation that the corporate world's sort of going through at the moment with it all. Yeah, I, when you were talking about uh, a, a public company making a point of the percentage of board members. What I, what I was going to say there, whenever anybody is telling you about a percentage of a very small number, they generally have an ulterior motive at hand, right? People only use percentages when they're referring to small numbers because they're trying to exaggerate it. Because the number of people on a board is not is not very big, right? This is not a huge number of people yeah. at all. You know, I mean, we're talking 12, 20, I mean, or, you know, or even more. I mean, you're talking way less than 50. So if you're talking about the number of people on the board, you should just be using the number of people that are on the board that are, that are ladies, right? It's not to, to use a percentage for it. It's like when people say, oh, you know, the VIX, the VIX went up by 100% today, right? Okay, so the VIX went from 10 to 20. <laughs> Historical average is well between there. Right, but you're just trying to make a huge deal about it. And sure, a move of the VIX from 10 to 20 would be a big move, especially if it's been, you know, I mean, that's a sudden move in a day, for example. But it, when you're using a percentage to describe the movement of an already small number, 
like it, it's not it you are you're only saying that because a percentage sounds bigger right yeah. so yeah. if you want to say oh well we've got we've got this many ladies on the board you should just say that you just say we've got this many board members yeah. and this many of them are women right but yeah. the because they are yeah we are you know there are two directors of the company 50 percent of them are women like it's it's obviously they're trying to make you make you feel in a different way and it very much um it, it, it really clouds what i think you're trying to do similar to yourself i, I don't have any um you know i if you're just looking for the person who is ultimately uh who can ultimately generate the best performance for the business yeah so it doesn't really matter who they are uh you you just in on a in a from a corporate standpoint you want the person that's going to be able to deliver the goods uh and the what some people who are you know pushing for diversity and things like that would say well what your idea of the person who can deliver the goods is means that they need to be you know a man from you know uh, oxbridge if you're in the uk or from an ivy league college in in the states i don't really see it that way i don't think well, if you're part of a money-making enterprise, you're ultimately your your best interest is whoever is going to make you the most money, and I don't, I feel that generally speaking, people, um, you know, uh, ultimately a business that doesn't look for the people who can make the best money, even if they are, uh, you know, not the you know not not a man or they're not uh, they're not straight or they're not white or whatever, they're ultimately doing the company a disservice. Like ultimately, the company itself is going to suffer as a result yeah. of that, and another company which doesn't do that. Is going to profit off that, so yeah, I don't yeah. feel it's, you know, a the, it's a culture thing at that point. It's like the companies yes. that are, are focusing on the right people, they will end up with with diversity and inclusion because and success because you you can't avoid it when all you're looking for are the best people because there is statistically when you're talking about the balance of of, of males and females in the world. It's, I think, it, what is it, 50.3% women, 49.7% men, or there's, there's a slight skew towards, I think, more women than men in the world, just from a population perspective. So statistically, you're going to probably end up with about the same number of people, um, roughly, in a board, if all you're looking for is just the best people. And so, you know, the idea of diversity and inclusion, all that doesn't, it's not like it's not like it should be something that you aim to achieve. It just should be something that will naturally be achieved anyway, because you will find that there are fantastic female leaders and fantastic male leaders. And if you're you're skewed towards too many men, or if you've got a board of all men, then you should actively be looking for you should actively be looking for a female, not because she's female, but because she can bring ideas and perspective that perhaps you don't get. Uh, with with a board full of full of blokes, but then you can't also go out and just advertise for a, a female for a single position because that's discrimination. But you should be able to, and if you need if you're a board full of women, and you should probably have a male perspective on your board as well. Uh, it works, you know, it works both ways. So um, you should all I think companies should always just be looking for the best people, like you say, for the job that can help the company achieve its maximum success, regardless. So. The idea of you can advertise, you have to advertise, or you have to look for people in a broad general sense, I think is ridiculous. You should be able to be extremely specific about who you're looking for and why you're looking for that person. Ultimately, is the best person for the job. But I don't run a company, so it's not really my problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, the responsibility of doing that is is outside of ours, our you know our control uh, when it comes to all of these all, all these major companies. I, I do feel very, very wary when you uh, 
when you see, I remember in Wired, in Wired magazine, when I used to read, when I used to read that old rag uh, before I became kind of disillusioned with it, I remember the, you know, they posted a thing. Um, one of their articles was saying, uh, you know, uh, companies which have this, uh, this amount of diversity uh, when it came to, uh, you know, when it comes to other ethnicities, when it came to minorities, when it came to women, they were this much more effective. There, you know, these companies that did that were, were more effective. Therefore, you know, any, anybody who's hiring should be specifically looking for this kind of split between when it came to the ethnicities of people that, you know, inside, inside the job. And, you know, if you take that, if you just take that model and you imagine if you were, you were working in HR and you were like, okay, well, we need this number of black folks. We need this number of Indian folks. We need this number of female folks. You know, that, that is simply not that, you know, this is just central planning. And it is, inc it is incredibly yeah. discriminatory. Well, you're effectively but, talking about quotas then. Exactly. People exactly. And, and ethnicities as quotas, which is obscene, really, when you think about it, that, that companies should be trying to achieve quotas of people. I mean, it's a yeah. weird form of segregation almost. It is. I, I do understand why it is that people take that. Yeah, I, 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 I do get it as well. Because, of course, you know, you've got, uh, you know, minorities in the United Kingdom, which, of course, don't have, uh, they're coming from uh, a, a, a poorer background. They don't have access to uh, the kind of, you know, educational facilities, don't have access even to the kind of uh, higher paid jobs that uh, more affluent folks would get. So, therefore, yeah. you know, we, we need to get these guys into the workforce. Yeah, yeah there are systemic but, social issues about it, of course. Big time. Uh, it's just the yeah, and ultimately, I think the the job of making sure that those guys, uh, oh, those guys, the those those folks, you know, make it into the into the workforce and rise through, you know, social mobility is yeah. enabled. I think that's less a, a corporate job than it is ultimately either a government job or. Uh -huh. Or a job simply for for society at large, rather than somebody who is running a company <laughs> saying, I "I'm going to solve this problem by mandating quotas." Um, obviously, you need to give as many opportunities yeah, as you I mean, can to anybody who's got the potential. We're also then talking about, you know, when you look at government and government policy, because I think it is it's a, it's an issue, social issue, where the government needs to be smarter and better with how they allocate resources instead of pissing billions and ultimately trillions away on shit like trying to achieve fucking net zero by 2035 or whatever it is. Why isn't a massive chunk of that being realigned towards providing higher quality education for lower socioeconomic areas? Um, you know, because ultimately the people in power don't give a fucking shit about those people. Um, and so, you know, there, there are, you know, you can trace it right back and, you know, we don't plan to be able to solve the social issues of the world on this podcast, but um, you know, you've, people need to be, calling into question more about fancy lardy the populist policies like those and why aren't the really hard ones being tackled by the people that are in power yeah uh is that certainly it's only beyond our remit here huh. uh, but, but i do think Bruce Booms boston the deepest social issues of the day <laughs> yeah. i mean anyone's just gonna look at this oh well here we are we have a we have two straight white males uh yeah. one from australia <laughs> Well, we're exactly. both Anglo's, therefore we are uh, imperialist um, scum oppressors. <laughs> yeah, we are the privileged elite, etc. Et I'm just from a. I'm just from a bunch of people that were all convicts and prison guards, anyway. No, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what's the reason why uh, you guys call call Brits poms? What's all that? What's up with that? Uh, I can't remember. I think it's really offensive, though. 
It's like how we call um, the Americans Yanks. I think that that's also highly offensive. Most well, of the things, most of the things Australians call other people around the world are highly Tom. offensive and deeply, deeply racist. Tom, um, Tom <laughs> can't be that offensive, surely? Is that really? I, is that really? You know big... I uh, oh, I can't remember who it was. I saw something the other day about somebody. <laughs> yeah, suddenly, suddenly we're delisted, right? This is Paul's <laughs> gonna. This is me bringing up Pom. So it's, it's actually really, really offensive. <laughs> I think it is. But no, no, it can't be, surely. Somebody, I can't, somebody really popular had, had, or famous or someone quite well respected, it might have been in, in sports broadcasting or something, had gone out to Australia or they'd been in Australia. They came back and they were talking about how deeply inherently racist Australia is. And uh, Australians refuse to admit it, but um, there's, there's some, se- some seriously deep-seated racism in Australia that people just, just seem to want to ignore. Um, but I'll tell you what, yeah, that's... Um, Maybe, yeah, that's maybe not really relevant, <laughs> relevant to this podcast. But, yeah, pretty much Poms, Yanks, but everything that we use is... Yeah, yeah, I don't think Yank... It's pretty nasty, I think. Yeah, but Yank and Yankee, I mean, that's an American Civil War thing where it's like, it's the Southerners referring oh, to... Oh, no, sorry. I think it was... I think I think it was the... Yeah, it was. I think it was the way we call them septic tanks because it's rhyming slang for Yanks. Ah, what? So it's like a... Um, what's the rhyming slang? Is it... Um, is it Geordies that do that? <laughs> septic tanks. It's like with China, best mates, China plates, the South Africans saying that, you know, Ashley came from the UK. Yeah. (laughs) To be honest with you, I think, I think a lot of it, uh, I think a lot of it is deeply colonially racist. (laughs) How is it racist if it's coming from, from white Australians referring to white Americans? Um, I, 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 I'm trying to I'm trying to find out just on the fly as to where it came from, but I'm I'm sure uh, I'm sure there's 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 something more nefarious to it than that. Well, as an aside, as an aside, um, re- further to Black Tot Day tomorrow. You know, this week I did learn why uh, limey is used to refer to folks from Britain. Now, this was uh, I discovered why li- the limeys or people uh, Americans referring to Brits as as limeys or as a limey is actually due to the practice of using uh, putting lime in grog another royal navy uh, you know practice to prevent scurvy because they put limes in because they didn't have access to lemons uh, i think it was something to do with yeah lemons it would have been from i think it was from the west indies where they were taking them from uh, and because they were using the limes uh, this became used as uh, limey ended up becoming an american slang term for for brits i don't think anybody right. in the uk is really very offended by the term limey but i'm sure somebody out there is very offended by it i, so I i've i've now limey. i've now cleared up the the where, where i was going with the the yank thing it's, it's not as, as offensive as i thought it maybe might have been but um it's actually it's actually the term sepo that is used by australians to describe americans oh what so, so where does this come from so the idea, so Seppo, which is, which is something I forgot, I don't have to be a fair, I haven't lived there for so long, I've forgotten that we even say it. Uh, Seppo is often referred to as, as, as Americans because it's, it's the Australian abbreviated term for a septic tank. Septic tank, 
rhyming slang for yank, but also to oh. connotate that Americans are full of shit. Um, that's that I, I, I found that explanation online. So, and that that, was, that is what I was told it, it, it was actually about. So it's when we call them seppos and they're like, ah, oh, cool man, seppos. Like, yeah, we're actually saying you're full of shit, but it is a term of endearment. Not, not, it's not intended to be offensive. So yeah. Um, well, yeah I, I, the, the linguistical like, uh, history of, of Australian abbreviations and rhyming slangs. Yeah, I mean, like, is anyone really that offended by it? Like, no, really? Not really. I, I, is anyone in England really offended when an Aussie calls them a pom? Really? I, I wouldn't think. Wouldn't have thought so. I mean, if they are, they should probably grow up. Like, <laughs> is this really a big deal? Is this really what we should be worried about right now? It's like it's like when, it's like every time I say I'm Australian, and people go, "Oh, that's not a knife. This is a knife." <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, in, it's also very interesting over here that everyone has a cousin that lives in Australia. It's weird. Oh yeah, it's weird, man. Yeah, yeah. It's like Americans, where it's like, you know, oh, you're from Scotland. Oh, do you know this person? <laughs> like, like everyone knows each other. Very, very small things. Oh, we have got so off topic today. Yeah, we've. Done, I think we've done a... I, th- I think we needed this. I mean, we've been <laughs> really on topic for 50 episodes. So I think it's fair that, uh, you know, we actually just... Uh, we, we just, just literally shoot the shit for an hour and a bit. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Why not? Oh, I mean, come on. It's almost August now. It's Black oh, Day tomorrow. Yeah, and we're still really under these weird government restrictions, and lot people are under lockdown. Right, yeah. So there are army, there are literally army people knocking on doors in Australia to make sure that people are at home. I mean, the Which world state? is a bit fucked at the moment. Which state, or is it uh, multi-state? New South Wales, NSW. Those guys were the most um, NSW. They were the guys who were most uh, most authoritarian with the earlier lockdowns, correct? Uh, yeah, Victoria was pretty bad as well. Um, it's 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 all gone Pete Tong out there, I'm afraid. Um, which is, I mean, shit. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's. Um, I I I didn't think, I didn't think the world would end up like this in such a short period of time with all everything that's gone on. It's it's a bit demoralizing to see people at home that can't go outside without a mask on and can't go more than five kilometers away from their house um yeah it's it's pretty messed up the um although there's a very very rich uh political uh guy kind of out there clive palmer made a lot of money in in mining and and stuff uh and he's taking the australian government to the to the high court um saying that covid passports are unconstitutional um so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and whether that sets a precedent um, about whether or not these these ridiculous COVID passports, which are basically basically a social access pass, um, are, are are legal from a constitution are constitutional. So that's something interesting. How far? How far? How far is it in Australia towards getting? Uh, well, I mean, like, is this when is this going to be enforced? Like, when is the starting date for everybody needing it in order to be able to do anything? Or is that? I, I think it's happening at the moment. I think they're starting to roll out COVID passports, and there's. You know, there's there's tight restrictions on what people can do. You can't uh, you can't go places now without having you know your double vaccinations and like it is here in the UK, double vaccinations and, and negative tests and COVID passports and things like that. So um, I don't know. At this rate, Sam, I'm never going to be able to visit Tasmania. Uh, no, 
No, I don't think you will. <laughs> R.I.P. Big R.I.P. Mate, at this rate, we won't be able to fucking visit each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, they're quite right. Quite right. Pretty, uh, yeah, it's pretty wild. I must say, it is here. pretty wild. It is pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, Considering yeah. Australia's really escaped the bulk of the of the mess of, of all this and had a chance to vaccinate, they were they were even they were even discouraging people to get the AstraZeneca vaccine because of the few people that got blood clots and stuff from it. So people were literally refusing to get vaccinated unless it was the Pfizer jab. Um, they they they've created medical segregation within the actual medical uh, vaccinations as well. It's 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 just astonishing what they've how they've they've fucked it up out there. I mean, what how what are the Kiwis doing these days? Oh, who knows? Did you there was there was there was that press conference where uh, Jacinda Ardern was like, if if what you're hearing hasn't come directly from us, it's not the truth. Yeah, I saw that. I <laughs> Which saw that. again, when you know, when the government's saying the only truth out there is the truth that we tell you about, I mean, that's when you start to get a little bit worried about everything. <laughs> you know, I do, I do wonder about this, right? Uh, you know, when you're talking about like the the colonies that didn't rebel, right? So you're thinking of Canada, Australia, New Zealand, right? Or Anglo, you know, the Anglo sphere. Mm and including the uk it's only america where they've really like this is kind of oh, they been... fight tooth and nail for their independence don't they yeah they do uh and i mm. gotta say i mean like australia was one of the countries where kind of the sort of imperial australia is very conformist man yeah it is. yeah but but just when it comes to so spying on other people like the 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 legality of spying on citizens in australia is incredibly loose so for five eyes yeah. australia is a really big deal because the the laws are so loose there relative to everyone else you know everyone wants the australians to spy on them and then pass on the data to uh, to to each other and this has kind of just made it kind of quite clear where power really lies in all these countries which is a real shame because you would want to think that the anglosphere was a was a was a freedom loving no. sphere i mean and the yet. government the government already has um laws in place around being able to have backdoor access to metadata and um uh, and access to encryption uh, encrypted apps and things on people's phones so, you know that's already in that's that's in place yes, already in place yeah. in australia so you know if you've got a government um developed covid passport app on your phone and they've got access to metadata on that through the laws that already exist don't know you know don't even have to worry about it being whatsapp or you know some of the other apps that are controlled by you know other tech companies and things like that that are actually against a lot of those laws um you know it's pretty obvious what they're going to be what they're going to be doing <laughs> with the apps that they send out to people mm. yeah I, uh, I was speaking to an uh, to an American earlier today, uh, a dear a dear associate of ours, and I was asking, you know, where where is it that you where where are we where would you be free from this <laughs> government intrusion upon our lives? Uh, and he was in a, he was talking about Poland, Cro uh, Czech Repu Czech Republic, uh, and I believe it was Croatia as well. These are mm. the, the governments which haven't gone. Oh, I tell you what. I tell you what, this might be a good, good, good point to, to wrap up today on, but I, I think one of the best places where we would be good to own a boat or a yacht and live is Croatia. Oh, uh, go on. 
while there's there's abundance of coastline, it's relatively cheap country yes. uh, compared to to much of the rest of Europe and the UK and the rest of the world. Uh, quality alcohol, lovely people, um, beautiful country. Uh, if you had a if you had a yacht and you wanted to live on it, I'd I'd be looking around Croatia for a for a mooring, a long term mooring. Well, there you have it, folks. There you have it. We've uh, come full circle. Yeah, yeah. This is it. We've returned to boat life. We've returned to the boat Triple life. Triple B is now a boat life podcast. Booze, 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 and boats, mate. It's quadruple yeah, boats B. From, from two people who don't actually own boats. Yeah, this is, this is where it's at. Yet. This is where it's at. Sam, how would you rate your second beer? And then we'll wrap this up. Uh, I really enjoyed that. That was a That's a great little collab beer. Um, as I said, it's... Um, had a bit of those the fruitiness from the the stone fruit taste that uh, that that it's got, uh, relatively light four uh, percent, cracking little beer that I, I actually quite enjoyed that one. I'd, uh, I think I might give that a I'll give that a B. I'll give it a B, which is a very good very good outcome. It is indeed a B is a very solid score. Now over here I've been drinking Dorothy Goodbody Good <laughs> Dorothy Good Bodies. Glorious IPA. You were going to say Dorothy Good Boobies, Glorious IPA, weren't you? No, if, no. If you, weren't, if you weren't, I have well, just said it. <laughs> I was drinking Dorothy Good Bodies, Glorious IPA. This is a 6% IPA from Y Valley Brewing with an incredible label. Uh, my girlfriend got me for this, and I thoroughly appreciate it. This is a, this is a great beer, uh, and it does taste very nice indeed. A lot of flavors in there. Uh, and very refreshing. It tastes six percent, but it and it feels like it feels like six percent beer, but it feels like you know it's definitely a summertime beer. I would thoroughly recommend anybody who's listening to this to to buy some because you will be considered very very politically incorrect. <laughs> you are you know persona non grata from the uh, from the people who want to control what we say, think, and do. So if you are listening to this, do buy yourself a bottle of want Dorothy. to take into the boardroom. You think. Yeah, take into the boardroom, uh, and uh, you know if you're if you're playing a sporting event, bring some along. This is Dorothy Goodbody's glorious IPA from Y Valley, and that is all for this week. There we have it, episode fifty-one of Booze, Booms, and Bust. Thank you so much for listening, and we shall be back again next week. Bye bye.